TP study. Fomenting theory and practice is action oriented toward changing society. FTP study. Cycle of learning, acting, and reflecting. Study. Imperative in anti oppressive practice. Reflect. What resistance did we have that was individual and or organizational? Let's learn and expand our knowledge from mentoring theories and praxis. FTP studies. this this circle uh, with medicine with our prayers with um yeah with with the awareness of our bodies and so thank you so much for holding that holding that space for us um because you know what we're doing tonight we're calling upon our ancestors you know we're calling upon our ancestors for guidance and but also we're calling upon our community for action for accountability the swell of uprisings throughout the world nationally and here in our communities locally speaks to the resurgence of movement building, right? And so, and so like the potential for transformative power, like it's real, like we could feel it. And, um, and also like the, like the, you know, with that potential comes the challenges, right? And so, um, and so we hope that this platica, you know, will, um, will, that we could walk away from this like with with like grounded lessons right some lessons and hopefully um you know continue a process of of um community acuerdos right uh, and healing um and so um because we're all here right like we've all known each other for so long like and we're doing this because we do believe in uh in building a better world right and so uh, I think that uh, I think that we all feel the same way, right? That whether consciously or subconsciously, to push gender violence to the sidelines or dismiss it as identity politics 
or petty drama or as private issue, it, um, it defeats the purpose, right? Like this is clearly a community issue. It impacts all of us and like our protocols, they must start to reflect this. When we as a community of organizers will release with traumatic and the psychological damage that remains, we are sitting complicit in the attacks, right? And so how do we how do we trans move from that place, right? Of hurt, of pain, and like transform like that reality that we're in right now. Um, so that we could continue to fight, right? So that we could continue to do the work that we need to do in our communities, right? Because it's so necessary, so necessary. Um, and these conversations, you know what, they're difficult. And so I appreciate everybody that's like, that, that's been down, um, you know, to have it, right? Like it's difficult, it's uncomfortable. And despite the very real fear of, of retaliation, we will continue to give voice to the issue of interpersonal violence within organizing spaces. We will continue to make our demands for all orgs, collectives, community members to hold the now Maoist-led Defendable Heights, United Neighborhood Defense, Serve the People Los Angeles, Red Guards Los Angeles, and their supporters accountable to the harm they have inflicted for the violent attacks and for the continued gaslighting and the attempt to erase us. Um, we will struggle, right, and we will and we will cry, but you know what? Um, it's necessary, right? This is a necessary, it's a, ne it's a necessary conversation because we, um, like at least for us, cycles, like we haven't felt the same since. And so, um, and I know it's affected us and I know it's affected our relationships, right? And we know that we're not alone in this. We know that, that this happens, uh, unfortunately, right, to, to femme, to black brown folks, right? Like so, and in that spirit, honoring the lessons from from those that came before us, like as we commemorate this month of Black August with the Black Moon Rising, we are deeply grateful for the support and participation of all our guest speakers here tonight. I was actually gonna talk about, you know, just like the type of experiences that we've had in LA um, that have, shown that the community does need to take matters into their own hands. And I wanted to mention the farm. Uh, a lot of people don't recognize that the South Central Farm was a huge, 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 huge moment for us to really come together and work on transformative justice because it was such an, such an injustice was done to our people and to our community over land that technically belongs to our community. You know, and um, a lot of times, like, we start to focus on, like, the political aspects of things, but we forget that a lot of our communities, a lot of our parents and grandparents, they come from a whole different generation of what justice looks like for them and land justice looks like for them, you know. In this particular situation with the South Central Farm, like, people really felt connected to that part of that piece of land, you know. They had been farming on it and tilling on it growing things that normally wouldn't even grow in the cities, you know, like, and they were really connected to that land. And in that moment, if you were there, if you were part of those protests and the physical bodies that got between machines and the plants, then you know that transformative justice is in your own hands. Like you have to really take action. You have to step up and step into your bigger self and look at the world 
as an interconnected globe, you know, everything that we did at that moment, um, I didn't know was being documented. We ended up in a bunch of documentaries later, but it needed to be documented because it was a point where South Central community was fighting against big machinery and big corporation and, you know, the city, the city itself was fighting the community. You know, what we need to learn from is like that we are those seeds that have resisted this long and have come to a place where now we're blooming and having seeds of our own. Now we have to understand what it is that we have to implement and give them those same tools and give them those, you know, I guess that to me it's like give them that, that honor of representing those generations that have come before them, you know? Uh, I'm blessed to have been in the community long enough to have a 20 something year old that understands deeply what his service to the community should look like and how he should give back to the community that fed him and clothed him and gave him culture, you know? So maybe that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna do semi-yes, a little bit of the, the old school stuff so that y'all can hear. And this song was written at that time, or it was a poem, but it was written at that time because of the seeds and because we were working so tightly with the farmers and, you know, the youth that it was a lot of youth involved in that. And I want to reiterate that, that a lot of youth involvement makes movements grow. You know, the old people, the old folks, they can give us, the elders, they can give us the knowledge and they can give us some tools, but it's really going to be up to them, up to y'all, the younger generations that come through. So this is for y'all. All right, Chela, old school shit. Ready? Juntos sembraremos, juntos sembraremos la semilla, la semilla. Juntos sembraremos con nuestro pueblo, juntos sembraremos compañero, juntos sembraremos hermanito, abuelito, queridos tíos. Juntos sembraremos, juntos sembraremos las semillas, las semillas. I spread these seeds like a disease until all these continents seize. The globalization, exploitation, realizing the true more creation is our preservation. I spread these seeds like the breeze until all these empires freeze the global the globalistic imperialistic ways nothing can compare to the thoughts our indigenous root has taught through dreams and imaginations to perceive the origins of creation the seeds of thought that often fought for those that can't and those that share their lives we spare I spread these seeds to be free. The seeds are free once we flee. El miserio imperio capitalista resiste zapatista. Como el tiempo no me arrepiento de soltar y como el viento el dolor que siento de ver a mi gente desapareciendo. So I uproot the truth, disperse the youths from the lies that seep in their minds, the innocent cries. The silence within has begun to give in. Holding back these truths can only prove the lies you told, the lives you stole, trying to control our souls. But once the truth is told, no one can hold back the joy of laughter. And with these rhymes, I capture the inexplicable nectar of knowing that Babylon no longer master the chains that enslaved shall take to the grave. And once again, our freedoms regain no more intolerable pain. I spread these seeds until all my people are free. Juntos sembraremos, juntos sembraremos las semillas, las semillas. For all the seeds of resistance. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Hi. Um, good 
Good day, everyone. I'm Etsy. Um, so I guess I, I've been doing uh, community organizing kind of like uh, in, the, in the same areas and uh, time as uh, the OVAs. I've never been part of uh, the OVAs. I've just uh, have always like um, been an unaffiliated, I guess, uh, supporter in so many ways. Um, and they've supported me. Um, I, I had invited uh, Black August Los Angeles folks to um, just to pay respects to the, the month, um, what Black August actually is for people who don't actually know. Black August was uh, created in the penal system um, from and through the, uh, the very many contributions that Black revolutionaries have given uh, to uh, not only Black struggle, but for liberation of all oppressed peoples. <clears throat> and um, uh, since, uh, since um, the Black Power Movement, um, since like the 1960s and 70s, uh, through different, um, well, in the carceral system, there were black revolutionaries and an uprising happened um, in um, uh, San Quentin. <clears throat> and uh, I believe it was San Quentin. I could have that an, uh, institution wrong. But uh, uh, George Jackson um, had committed um, a lot of acts of uh, liberation in his day and uh, due to his sacrifices uh, led to him being incarcerated, leading um, him also being a, a political uh, prisoner um, and um, that leading to a revolt in the prisons um, where he, uh, he was killed. Um, um, his, younger, his younger brother was also um, killed in an attempt to free him, um, Jonathan Jackson. And um, August is just a very well-known time for resistance for um, specifically for people of the African diaspora when it comes to Nat Turner um, or just different revolutionaries that have uh, committed their lives to, to struggle. And so, um, that's what the month is. And I've, I've participated um, in the Black August tours and they give a tour, the Black August Los Angeles committee gives a tour of uh, Los Angeles um, of different places of like political unrest or histories of the Black Panthers. <clears throat> and um, uh, for, for the month of August, the idea is to um, uh, study fast and um, withhold from like, uh, you're, you're being in solidarity with incarcerated people. So you will withhold from uh, entertainment, sex. Um, the idea is to fast from the um, morning to the evening, uh, similarly to uh, Ramadan, um, but um, it's in, this is in August and um, I've actually, uh, done the fasting and the studying a few times, uh, or at least three years in a row. Um, I did it last year. 
I didn't do it uh, this year because I, I felt way too stressed um, and, and showing my solidarity in other ways. Um, but it's a good way to honor those ancestors. And actually it was a um, indigenous comrade who informed me of the practice. So it can be, um, it can be done with other, other folks. Um, so one of the reasons why I had also invited uh, Black August Los Angeles was because there, um, I, I had taken part in witnessing uh, the African People's Liberation Tribunal that was specifically for, um, you know, Black movement community in uh, so-called Los Angeles. And um, one, of, one of my comrades who was a former member of the Black Writers Liberation Party had asked me to come to the, uh, to the tribunal um, in support of him. And, um, you know, the, the comrade that asked me, he didn't show. Um, there, it's kind of a mystery to this day why he didn't show, but um, uh, possibly because he was very fearful of uh, the Black writers um, who were led by, hierarchically led by um, General Taco or Misha Colton. And um, I've written about uh, this process a little bit in a book that I was um, in recently that was published last year called uh, Love with Accountability. Um, and uh, I talk about um, transformative justice, but I also named this process because I thought it was extremely important um, as like a moment in uh, Black liberation movement where people actually came together to, you know, see that there is this well-known organization, this militant organization, so-called militant organization, um, and uh, there were a lot of um, uh, quote unquote, uh, well, they, they weren't allegations, but there was a lot of uh, violence that they were inflicting on uh, communities. And um, the process that had happened um, was created uh, by other uh, Black activists, uh, Black revolutionaries, former Black Panthers, and um, uh, witnessing that uh, gave me a lot of uh, hope in um, seeing <clears throat> how communities can actually resolve uh, issues of violence, great violence without uh, violence, without resorting to, um, you know, shooting each other uh, or even going to the state <clears throat> that might perpetuate even more violence. Because uh, we are, you know, trying to delegitimize the kind of colonial forces that are oppressing us and um, that uh, that was created with uh, without the input of um, the settler state. <clears throat> so um, I think the reason why I invited um, them was because uh, I had initially asked uh, um, Defend Boyle Heights Coalition um, when they had attempted to uh, isolate and sanction the OVAs, I had asked uh, them, have, had there been like an actual tribunal process 
and I know the inner workings uh, at that time of between the OVAs as well as some people within uh, Defend Boyle Heights um, and the the, ten the political ideological tensions um, that being, you know, people who are trying to use, uh, who are authoritarian maybe and more hierarchical in their organizing, whereas the OVAs are not only women, but they're um, anti-hierarchical, they're non-hierarchical, they're horizontal. And so I have been aware of these um, tensions. And, uh, but in that I had asked uh, Defend Boyle Heights at the time, their name was Defend Boyle Heights, if they uh, had proceeded on with the community, accountability process or tribunal and that was mocked and um, comment was deleted on social media and they, they never came back to it and just decided to sanction prematurely uh, whereas uh, Black August or I'm sorry the um, many people who are in Black August are part were part of this African People's Liberation Tribunal and uh, they had extensive um, testimony that they gathered, um, information followed by a long uh, process, a long tribunal of confronting this community harm that the Black Riders uh, slash leadership of uh, Misha Colton, uh, aka General Taco, had, um, you know, inflicted. So, um, yeah, I think that that with, you know, that's pretty much it. I, I wanna, um, I guess, introduce um, James Simmons from the Black August Los Angeles. Uh, thank you for joining us, James. Um, yeah, you can take it away. Um, really grateful to be here, to be able to share this information and uh, try to help uh, uh, others uh, in, uh, coming up with solutions to issues and contradictions within uh, the community. Uh, uh, we know that uh, we are beset by many forces that uh, sometimes, uh, besides disrupting the work uh, that we're trying to do, uh, actually pose us uh, pose threats to our physical safety and integrity. Uh, just a, a brief uh, background on uh, uh, what the, the organizational uh, committee uh, that uh, brought us the uh, tribunal, African People's Liberation Tribunal was uh, called the committee. Uh, it was group of people who had worked together, uh, people, uh, every one of which had uh, worked with the, the person who was accused of committing offenses against the community and the people, uh, General Taco. Uh, we had all worked with him and we all wanted to come up with uh, answers. Uh, prior to even the formation of the committee, there were investigators to uh, check out because a lot of the stuff that uh, was happening was happening behind closed doors. The abuse, um, the violence, uh, the theft uh, was happening uh, and it was not common knowledge, but uh, 
the word had gotten to some of us that uh, this was uh, happening, uh, mainly perpetrated by uh, so-called General Taco and uh, or at his behest. Uh, I think all of it at his behest. So they were investigators. And for a couple of years, two, three years, uh, it was a slow process because people were frightened. People didn't want to come forward because he was known as a very fierce person. Um, and while he uh, presented as a reformed gang member, he apparently carried the, uh, the tendencies of uh, his uh, gang life in terms of uh, lack of respect uh, for the community uh, into his political work. Uh, we uh, investigated. Uh, we came up with uh, statements from numerous people, recorded the statements, and uh, set about uh, these allegations, which included uh, uh, numerous things, some things that we, we, we thought we knew, but we couldn't uh, find witnesses, we didn't include. Uh, uh, but we uh, wound up, and he communicated uh, with us that he was upset with the process. In fact, called me and uh, just told him that this was you know, he had to um, be uh, uh, in line with uh, basically community standards uh, and not abuse people, not abuse either members of his organization or the community or supporters. And uh, we presented him with allegations against him. He responded in writing. We did this publicly. Uh, he responded in writing. Uh, twice, and eventually uh, uh, he did not refute any of the allegations made against him, which included rape, which included uh, torture, uh, theft, abuse, uh, physical abuse, um, and others, other things. Uh, eventually, because he did not directly uh, refute any of those things, but we felt we still had to have a process. So we gave him notice of a tribunal, which was held at WLCAC in uh, uh, Watts, uh, Watts Labor Action um, Committee. And we, uh, but prior to that, we had uh, recruited from the community a panel of, of uh, people. Now he had uh, name specific people he wanted on to in 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 the panel. Uh, we included those people, the people he had worked with, and he felt I guess would be sympathetic with him. But we had people from uh, different parts of the, of the movement and uh, 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 different parts of the community, uh, again, again, including the Black Panther Party, uh, the Black Liberation Army, uh, the Nation of Islam gang intervention uh, forces, uh, organizations. Uh, for those people who were um, uh, intimidated and did not want to appear in person, we played the videos. 
uh, that we or the recordings that we had of them. Uh, for those that were um, uh, who uh, felt like they could uh, testify live, uh, they testified live. And um, the panel deliberated for a couple of weeks at the conclusion. Uh, and even though there had been attempts to stop the tribunal, uh, there were uh, there was argument, there was disruption. We had security, again, uh, not not a police force, but security that secured the um, the proceedings, and then secured the the building uh, uh, later on the Afiba Center, uh, which uh, was the place where the panel retired to. Um, to uh, uh, make decisions on the allegations. They eventually came back with uh, uh, almost a clean sweep, uh, making uh, uh, or uh, deciding that the allegations were true, most of them. The one uh, that was completely rejected was the one allegation we had no testimony. No one would come forth to testify on the torture of uh, of a, a sisters from a sister from the uh, Brown Riders who had been tortured, uh, uh, and uh, no one came forward until after the the tribunal. Uh, eventually, uh, they we had to come up with sanctions. Uh, we told and we asked the panel to consider sanctions. We asked them to uh, consider um, transformative justice. Uh, as part of it, in which if Taco was willing to participate, uh, that was a possibility. But the panel decided uh, the, intransig the intransigence of Taco, that they could not um, recommend a transformative justice. justice. Uh, eventually, they made recommendations. The committee uh, uh, took the recommendations, and we came up with uh, basically, he was banned from the community. He was banned from organizing. And we did a um, propaganda campaign, basically saying he was not welcome in the community. Uh, so just that's just a little background. But if it's possible for me to share the screen. OK. So this comes uh, any time you receive an email from Black August Los Angeles, we have this quote. Settle your quarrels, come together, understand the reality of our situation, understand that fascism is, fascism is already here, that people are dying who could be saved, that generations more will die or live poor, butchered, half lies if you fail to act. Do what must be done. Discover your humanity and your love and revolution pass on the torch, join us. The sooner begun, the sooner done. George Jackson, um, who was assassinated August 21st, 1971. Now, there are Excuse me. Some practices uh, 
we believe that are uh, important in terms of uh, avoiding conflict or how to deal with conflict. And, you know, organizations, you know, there's organizational tension, there's interpersonal tension. But one of the things, um, and a lot of people in Black August, uh, we tend to be older. We have um, uh, someone as young as 16. Uh, we have people in their 20s, but a lot of old veterans. But engaging in constructive criticism and self-criticism, where we criticize, we may criticize others, but we have to criticize ourselves in order to um, make sure that we are not in error. Uh, sometimes you might come to a Black August uh, uh, meeting and you think that everybody doesn't like each other because they're talking about each other. But this is a way we um, we decide uh, we we can deal with uh, uh, antagonisms and errors without uh, it being so bad that people can't deal with one another. Open and effective discussions and communications, and this isn't any particular order, but uh, we don't go behind people's back and we don't whisper after the meeting. We talk about if we have a problem, we talk about it. Critical thinking, uh, not just talking or, or doing or making a decision um, because we think that it's right, but we actually uh, engage in this critical thinking and try to figure out, is this actually the right course of action? Is this the right thing to say? Is this the right thing to do? In, in, in our work. If there's a problem, that problem should be investigated. If somebody comes up with an allegation and, uh, against someone or another organization, then that allegation should be investigated. And not just, oh, well, you know, they're haters, uh, don't even think about it, but we, we need to investigate it. Both uh, allegations uh, pointed to ourselves and allegations uh, pointed at others. Uh, Developing an encouraging calm, this is something that's very important. Uh, uh, many of us have been in life and death situations and uh, being calm is uh, a way to uh, survive an encounter, uh, uh, to think clearly about what should be done with a threat, uh, think clearly about uh, how to manage a situation and uh, calm, uh, and I know in, in interactions with the police, often uh, is, uh, is, a, is, is, a, is a great benefit because they don't know how to deal with calm. They're used to people screaming and cussing them out. Although sometimes they need to be cussed out. Uh, but uh, developing and encouraging calm is, is very important. Also important is eliminating self-hate and self-doubt. Uh, and projecting it upon others, uh, uh, shrinking back from responsibility because you think people don't like you or you think that you're not capable. Again, if you engage in critical thinking and if you ask uh, uh, and, and engage in criticism, self-criticism, you can figure out whether you can do something or not, or whether the organization could do something or not, and uh, get rid of it. Uh, if you're weak in an area, then build that up.
self-discipline, uh, to have the discipline to carry out uh, uh, the work that needs to be done, to carry out the assignments that need to be done, uh, uh, to carry out your responsibilities. Uh, uh, self-discipline is, 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 uh, is the way to do that. Uh, and a lot of these uh, these practices are uh, in in, uh, in the materials that we compiled for the tribunal. We look to liberation movements around the world, uh, particularly uh, armed liberation movements, uh, to figure out uh, what to do, because again, these are matters of life and death. But uh, the four agreements, uh, and there's a. Uh, in the at the end of the show uh, is something that uh, we think can be of value. Be impeccable with your word. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say uh, if you can't do it, tell people that you can't do it, but don't lie about it. Don't take anything personal, uh, uh, even if it is meant to be personal. Don't let it uh, get you, because that's what happened. That a lot of people will attack you to try to throw you off your game and uh, create conflict. Don't make assumptions. Don't assume anything. If there's a question, don't let it just percolate in your mind. If there's another organization, don't just think about um, uh, and, 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 and uh, decide on a course of action. Uh, don't do that on an assumption. Uh, make it clear. And always do your best. Now, there are some corrosive practices with our, which in our, within our movements that uh, promote uh, or tolerate violence. Sectarianism, snitch jacketing. Again, a lot of that which uh, uh, Taco did was to try to portray us as COINTELPRO attacking a member of the liberation movement when uh, nothing could be further from the truth. But this is a way. Uh, the FBI, the LAPD will get um, uh, those within the movement to uh, uh, oppose one another and cause violence. Uh, snitch jacketing is a is a no no, and as uh, Amakar Cabral, the uh, one of the great leaders of the uh, the revolution in Cape Verde and uh, Guinea Bissau, he said. Uh, uh, don't don't lie. Uh, oppose all lies. Expose lies wherever they're told. Uh, uh, claim no easy victories. So, uh, if somebody tells a lie on on us, or tells a lie, uh, uh, and you certainly shouldn't tell a lie on, on, on someone else. Make sure that that's cleared up, because especially snitch jacketing has gotten people killed in the past. Liberalism, letting things slide, uh, letting things slide with other organizations, letting things slide internally causes problems. Authoritarianism, where you have the strong leader, uh, uh, Ella Baker, who one of the founders of SNCC and the civil rights movement, a radical, uh, in, uh, uh, in, in her approach, I said we don't. Strong people don't need strong leaders because uh, those decisions can be made uh, by the people. They don't have to be 
imposed on the people. But sexism, and these are the obvious ones, misogyny, reactionary nationalism, uh, hegemony, people trying to take over and make you uh, a part of what they're doing, or you trying to take over and make uh, them a part of what you're doing through um, course of means. Arrogance, uh, trans misogynoir, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a word I just picked up, but uh, th those people who uh, would visit uh, 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 hate on uh, uh, black uh, trans uh, people uh, who uh, uh, are doing nothing to deserve that. Uh, or because of their status. Economic exploitation, again, which we found, which we find a lot where organizations and leaders and uh, movements will uh, economically exploit the people. And dogmatism. Uh, again, if you, if you are into critical thinking, uh, you should not be uh, plagued by dogmatism. But these are some uh, things that we feel um, uh, help contribute to a, a hostile and a corrosive act atmosphere. I'm not going to go through all of these, but uh, this code of conduct and ethical conduct, uh, those things that we feel um, uh, or uh, this was developed during the tribunal. Uh, it has changed over the years. Uh, there was an incident in uh, Atlanta in 2015 where a former member of the Black Panther Party, Black Liberation Army, was uh, uh, beaten. An elder was beaten, his jaw broken in three places. You know, he committed errors. Uh, the other organization committed errors. And in order to prevent violence, uh, there was a, a national group that looked over the code of conduct that we developed in Los Angeles and came up with some of these things. Again, uh, this is something that uh, uh, we feel will avoid the bad practices. Uh, and again, derive from codes of conduct from liberation movements. So engaging in dialogue, making every effort to resolve disputes with others without the use of violence, act to diffuse conflict with the least amount of force needed to secure the safety of the parties involved. And this is the quote from Amakar Cabral, hide nothing from the masses of our people, tell no lies, expose lies wherever they're told and in a manner that is respectful. Mass no difficulties, mistakes, failures, claim no easy victories. Be righteous in your dealings with others. Do not steal, cheat, misuse, spread gossip, disrespect your comrades, family, community, and the people. Be uplifting, supportive, and considerate of the masses of our people. And, and I really have to say, I um, really get the feeling, uh, and I've gotten the feeling in preparation for this, uh, uh, for this event and in uh, my other dealings with the OVAs, uh, for what I can see that was, that this is uh, very true. Uh, this is a, a part of um, a part of the character uh, of what I've seen. 
code of conduct, offensive conduct. And again, I'm not going to go through all of these, but assaulting people, use of violence to prevail over comrades in political, strategic, or tactical disagreements or for personal power and aggrandizement, damaging the property, assault, sexually exploiting comrades or members of the public, ill-treating members of the public, conduct that weakens the people's trust, confidence, and faith in revolutionaries, revolutionaries and the liberation movement, theft, abuse of authority and or power, cruelty, assaults, rape, disorderly conduct, shameful conduct, likely to disgrace the liberation movement, bring our people into disrepute. Torture, ill treatment, uh, accusing a member of the public or a comrade of, of criminal or financial misconduct or being an informer or a police agent without having a factual basis for doing so because there are police agents. But because you don't like how somebody acts or somebody what somebody does and people will accuse you of being a, 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 a snitch or, or a provocateur, uh, unless there's some kind of factual basis, uh, that can only lead to trouble. You know, creating, encouraging, provoking sectarianism, creating, inflaming, or continuing unnecessary conflict of a personal, organizational, racial, ethnic, religious, or political nature. Um, and then uh, using drugs that have, that have proven to be destructive of the community. Again, as part of the, uh, uh, the, the tribunal was like a final step because transformative justice was felt um, not to be appropriate in Taco's case. He was unrepentant. He was uh, uh, hostile, and he made threats to witnesses and members of the tribunal. But the Youth Justice Coalition, which um, Black August has some relations with, uh, defines transformative justice as an alternative to street justice, violence, intimidation, revenge, retaliation, or rule by might over uh, right. As, a, as well as an alternative to school and court justice, you know, people trying to sue each other, uh, whatever. Uh, those things that focus on punishment, isolation, and removal through suspension, expulsion, incarceration, deportation, or death. Again, we, uh, the, the uh, tribunal, African People's Liberation Tribunal, used uh, uh, basically ex expulsion as a last result, resort. Uh, transformational justice is rooted in ancient traditions, arguably existent in all indigenous communities. One of the ways, uh, one of the uh, works we uh, uh, drew from in order to establish the tribunal was uh, uh, the writings of uh, Safiya Bukhari, again, former member of the Black Panther Party, Black Liberation Army, uh, former political prisoner, prisoner of war herself, who was engaged in a unit that would break comrades out of, out of jail and prison. So uh, in, in terms of resolving contradictions, and you have to figure out whether the contradiction is with an enemy or between friends. And then you have to figure out what is the desired outcome of the contradiction. Uh, if it's between friends, and that's not, you know, the, the common use of a friend, but someone who's friendly, uh, politically or otherwise. And uh, it's uh, the next step is to determine what is the desired outcome. 
If the contradiction is between friends, then the desired outcome must be to resolve the contradiction in order to move forward. If the allegation is that the person is an agent or enemy of the people, the desired outcome is to resolve the contradiction in order to verify the charge or exonerate the individual. Again, this is not something that you should let linger and just uh, gossip about. So the first order of business, investigate the allegation. Not to spread rumors and vilify the person, but to conduct a thorough objective investigation of the circumstances that led to the charge. And um, uh, our investigation uh, of General Taco, he was aware of it because we were asking people around him. Uh, this is why he, uh, he kind of objected to it. Uh, but it was not to harass people and spread rumors and people were asking about it, but we couldn't say anything. Uh, and without compromising the work we were doing. Uh, again, people throw around COINTELPRO and uh, being a snitch and say, oh yeah, this is COINTELPRO. Well, it could be just stupidity or it could be a wrong, uh, a, a political line that, uh, that was not, that is not um, uh, in line with the, what we're, we're thinking of. So the thing is to get to the truth. Uh, be objective, give no greater validity to one side or another. Okay, so basically that's it. That's how we dealt with these allegations against General Taco and removed a very caustic, uh, nasty, negative force from the community. Right. Without violence. Thank you so much, James. It was very, very impactful. The slide show and the um the happening okay. all right hey y'all uh so i'm gonna introduce uh who defendella is and then i'm gonna pass it to my homegirl. uh we're an anti-gentrification uh group um we fight against gentrification and displacement uh whitewashing of the murals in Highland Park. Um, we've, um, right now we've been involved with uh, tenant organizing and mutual aid. And um, we have lots of uh, solidified uh, relationships across this community in Highland Park, Cypress Park, Lasso Park, Lincoln Heights, El Sereno. <clears throat> we've been involved with uh, many different movements and actions and protests um, and, and organizing. Um, and basically, our main goal is to uh, completely stop uh, displacement that happens in Northeast LA, stop evictions, um, stop the, the onslaught of, of developments, residential developments, luxury developments, commercial developments, and using organizing and direct action um, to do that. <clears throat> so um, right now I'm gonna pass it to uh, the home girl and, and she's gonna talk a little bit about um, our, experience. our, our experiences with, uh, with uh, the Fumble Huts. All right, hey y'all. First of all, we wanna really thank you guys for creating this space We've remained silent up until now for the most part um, regarding our interactions and our trauma with Defend Boyle Heights slash UNDM 
but no more of that. So we're here to talk about pretty much what went down and how it happened. So this is the T. So basically following the, the disbanding and the dismantling of the coalition known as Defend Boyle Heights, we were ordered to disband due to the fact that we did not isolate the OVAs. So that turned into a call for us to be isolated. So Defend Nella became also labeled as another organization that needed to be, you know, part of the cancel culture thing that they like to push. So they um, tried to make sure that we were discredited and we had orders to drop the name Defend Nella. So we are just a few of the many people who have been organizing, you know, under, under this name. We're a few of many, but, you know, the ones present here today are the ones who are mainly affected directly by this, you know, these altercations and this ongoing hostility and issues with Defend Well Heights. So we were approached um, in, in a manner that was basically an ambush and we were told that, you know, there were certain demands and we had to meet those demands and those demands were not up for negotiation and they were not open-ended. And if we didn't agree to isolate the OVAs, we would be met with repercussions. You know, uh, a member of Defend Boyle Heights got in my face and she made it perfectly clear that they were a militant organization and that if we refused to abide and, and literally and physically sign their, these demands, we would be met with a militant response. So an altercation followed that specific meetup when, you know, I basically said, we are horizontal. We don't do authoritarianism in our crew. We don't, that's not the way that we rule. So any demands or any negotiation that needed to be had or was called upon needed to be brought back to the crew to be voted on as it should be. Everything should be voted on. And so we didn't get the opportunity to even bring that back to the table because we were immediately canceled and called for isolation like the ovarian cycles at the time. So that's, and all the hostility and all the attacks that followed have continued basically to this day. So now that you guys have a little bit of an idea of what went on at that time, and there were physical altercations, there were ambushes, there were, you know, um, words that were broken, meaning there, were, there was a meetup where we asked to mirror numbers. So it was supposed to be two and two. We showed up, it was two to three. And then many of their members chose to come out from hiding, masked up, hooded up from cars. So it, it was an ambush. And there, it did get physical. So, I mean, that's pretty much how they roll. It's an authoritarian type of organization that has caused much harm to, you know, community members that they really aren't a part of because they're not from Boyle Heights and they're not from Northeast LA. We're from here. So we really want to talk about the current stress that we find ourselves under because of the fact that they keep infiltrating or different organizations and different communities that they are not a part of. So I want to stress that our biggest concern at the moment is the recruitment of minors and very young teens that we consider to, to be grooming. It is. It's grooming into an authoritarian type of organizing that we don't roll with, we're not cool with, and we, we don't want to see that in our community. So um, the, 
it has hindered us in many ways. And I think it's important that we talk about how um, the fact that they've been using white transplants and gentrifiers and people who move here and really don't know the players, they don't know the people and the names and the organizations that have been putting in this work, they don't know. So they come in with these um, communist ideologies, which, you know, that's well within their right, but they don't know the rest of them. Um, all right, okay. So, uh, disclaimer here, we'll add an asterisk. There are members that are mujeres that are from Boyle Heights, and we do want to acknowledge that work and the fact that they are from the community. So we'll, we'll, we'll be referring to the other members. So they have hindered our participation in our own organizing and in our own community because of you know, the avoidance of this violence and the fact that we are opting to not bring this violence into our communities. We organize a lot with tenants and we don't feel that it's safe and it's right to create any type of hostile environment in a place where we have elders, women, children present, unlike you know, their tactics, which included like macing of people in a community space and things of that nature. So um, we wanna touch you know, on the fact that they are, they do seem to be targeting gentrifier transplants who are coming into these working class neighborhoods with these savior complexes, you know, and they may have all the good intentions in the world, but they don't have any rights to implement these ideologies in communities that are not theirs. That's how we feel about it. So in essence, we feel there's, um, there's a danger in co-opting and using this white entitlement by proxy. They're using people to enter organizations and organizing spaces in order to use these resources and this labor to further their own agenda. So when it, be when it becomes not about the community, not about the work, not about truly fighting gentrification by any means necessary in a way that's welcoming to anybody who wants to fight gentrification and it becomes about this ideology, I think there's, there's a big problem there. So, and you know, th that's, that's that's where we're seeing these people becoming easily recruited simply because they don't know. And that's why spaces like this and events like this are so important because if they do know and this type of information becomes more readily available and you know, we speak more openly about these traumas and how our work is being hindered due to theirs, then you know, maybe they'll be more knowledgeable and they'll be more uh, informed to make those types of decisions. So um, we really wanna talk about how we're seeing a lot of new people who don't have this experience in organizing, stepping up and taking positions of leadership in our communities. And, you know, they don't know the long-term players in the game and they're claiming to be confused and unclear about what to do and what side to take and who to believe. So all we, we wanna say is if you're unclear and you don't know who to believe, then please take a step back. Don't take that flag with so much assurance and side with you know either side until you, until you do know the facts until you you do see you know what what types of things are being elevated so just listen to all the facts before you carry that flag if you don't know don't take that flag and don't you know don't walk with it yeah believe the survivors we have no reason to lie do your own research and make your own decision. No authoritarianism. We don't have, there's no space for that type of thing in these communities. So please, that's what we wanna say. We wanna say just watch and learn and then join in. But you know, we wanna give props to the OVAs 
for maintaining, you know, the same line and never deviating it from it. I was present when they were trying to give their presentation and were, and were cut off because of that cancel culture approach. So just follow your gut and you guys know that's not okay under any circumstances. You want to hear both sides. You want to have all the facts and not have anybody muted or censored because they're going to say something that's that, you know, that they don't want out there. So that's all we want to say. So thank you guys for giving us this space and allowing us to talk. I don't know if any of my other comrades want to add anything to it. No? Okay. All right. We're good. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Shabina. I use they and she pronouns. Um, I feel really appreciative of being invited into this space as a guest, and I feel like um, I'm so, so um, just thankful to be on this um, call and hearing from a lot of people who have had a lot of direct experience, um, you know, dealing with harm and violence. And um, yeah, I really appreciate just everybody who has spoken so far and what you've shared. Um, and I wanted to basically um, maybe explain a little bit that I am a student of transformative justice and I wanted to give credit to um, a lot of the people who I've learned from, um, Clarissa Rojas, Mia Mingus, Mimi Kim, Mariam Kaba, all these folks who have put out a lot of resources out on um, online that are around community accountability and transformative justice. Um, even some specifically on movement spaces. And um, for the most part, I just really wanted to um, support as someone who has been, who has been a survivor, who has been pushed out of other organizations, who has been told um, feelings and emotions don't belong in this organizing space and things like that. Um, and just uh, kind of center some questions for survivors or around survivors um, of, and, and I want to also state that, um, you know, it's not a monolithic identity. We know that, you know, people who have, who have survived violence, um, some, some of them who have survived violence can also, or have also like caused harm as well. It's not like we're these like perfect um, binaries. But I wanted to pose the question, um, just like give everyone some, a little bit of time and space maybe on this call or people who are um, tuning in live to take maybe like 30 seconds to really think about um, if you were a survivor of harm or violence, what is it that you really would need um, and what what would you what would you have wanted to have happen um, either immediately or if it's some something that's still ongoing then what is something that you feel that could really support you um, so if if folks want to just popcorn or chime into the conversation um, yeah after taking some time to to reflect I have something that I'd like to share um, since it's popcorn something that comes to mind for me was um, the, um, you know, when we, when it was clear, you know, that we, that we were being groomed and that we um, were being sort of like, you know, um, trying to be recruited into this Maoist way or like, you know, their type of 
their type of um, ideology. Um, we, when we went to the, when we went to the elders of our coalition, Union de Vecinos, um, specifically, um, Leonardo Vilches and and Elizabeth Blaney, um, it was we were consistently being told like, you know, don't say anything, uh, you know, just don't engage. Um, we'll work it out. What you know, like put the put the community first. Right. Um, this is about gentrification. You know, keep you know keep keep your focus. And it's really and it's really um it's really unfortunate because you know how can you keep your focus when you're being attacked in this way, right? And and of course, um, I think that because we didn't you know we weren't able to go through that process that we had first you know um, tried to initiate with them, which was to really kind of like. Um, come to some kind of mutual respect, right? Like y'all think like that, but we are not like that. So like, how are we gonna work this, this out and continue this work together when that wasn't, when when that didn't seem to be working out? Um, I just feel like this, like this, this cloud of like secrecy or like this, like, you know, this, this kind of like, you know, um, uh, um, this prioritizing, right? Like prioritizing community or like separating it as if this is not all community, right? Uh, I would like more guidance. I would have liked, um, you know, some, some kind of follow-up also, right? Because like we've been silent or like, you know, following their, their guidance, like we remain silent. <clears throat> but then when, 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 when things escalated, you know, there, was no support from them right and so i think that that's super important right um, how do we how do we vocalize what we're going through while at the same time continuing to do the work right um, and also at the same time recognizing that it's all interrelated um and where and how can we be more um uh, um accountable to what happens in the aftermath right um how do we do that I think that's so important. Um, I think you brought up um, a few really important things, which is like mutual respect, um, you know, which is which is something really principled. Um, and based on you know what you've shared and what other people on the call have shared, it's um, it's it's kind of obvious how some people kind of replicate the state or replicate the practices of the state: secrecy, policing, um, isolation. You know all of these kinds of things that um, I think transformative justice and community accountability work is really pushing back against. So are there others that have, have thoughts about what you would have wanted um, to see or as a survivor for support? Um, so I'm coming from a different perspective. Um, I live in Santana, Orange County, um, but I think the uh, now, when we see certain things, like when I was seeing um, certain things uh, about how the Fembo Hacks is going about and how I have connections with Chela, uh, but also just like independently, like knowing signs of like, oh, dude, I've been through that kind of violence and it's familiar. And like, those are like flags that like, I don't know what to do, you know, and sometimes we don't know what to do. So I think that um, one of the things that I've been better at understanding is like, don't even if we don't know what to do, listening is like the prime thing that will help in these situations, you know, because um, in the processes that I've done individually and with other community spaces, it's been like, 
well, people are waiting to see. First, everyone's like surprised and then semi not surprised, right? Because people know that things are like shady or there's been violence and it just kind of like gets pushed to the side, you know, like for the community, like this is how they are or whatever. But it's like, um, it hurts when we believe in a system of, of horizontalness or like that we are all equal and then we get hit with this like sense of like, no, we're still in a hierarchical, patriarchal environment that's not gonna let us be who we are. So like the anger is understandable and it's valid, um, but anger is usually like sadness, like just stored up, you know, and build and build and build. And um, I think one thing that I reflected and I reflect a lot with friends now is that I didn't know how to say, I need you all, you all to help me in this. I didn't know what I needed. And I didn't know how to ask people without feeling like a burden, you know, um, because like, if you get disposed of for speaking up, like everyone else is gonna be scared to be disposed of, you know? Um, so I think um, that the timing, um, there is no right time of when to speak up um, and like for sure the imposter syndrome. And like, um, that's why sometimes things like this either prolong because we don't know how to talk about the trauma and then we kind of like, it's exhausting exhausting to relive it to tell people what's happened to validate like our ex our experience to be validated and then find the energy to collectively do this work you know because it takes a lot to want transformative justice and i've been very honest to myself about the process how we want justice like this and i i, I for sure i think all of us have been like we want it like this because the hurt was like this but it's not going to happen like that and and that means like we need to take care of each other whether that means like hey have we been eating have we been showering can we like can, are y'all walking like are is your body okay like because a lot of the trauma that happens in the mutual aid that that gets it's lack it lacks we lack mutual aid like you know i've seen all these mutual aid groups now like popping up everywhere but like do we all really know like the mutual aid that we need individually like because i've gone before where i'd have housing and i was like at community meetings i was making sure people were there and like you know a lot of people don't know like how we're really doing within our inner circles and then it only happens until we hit like rock bottom and we don't and someone disappears and then we find out either they're not housed uh, they're going through domestic problems they don't have food uh, I would go to meetings for food, you know, like, it'd be like, what well, can we help each other with? And it's like, well, I'm going to put my time and labor and I can get like some food for tonight. So it's a sense of like, how are we really being intentional about the people that we have around and we're getting to know each other. And then, uh, you know, just like knowing and being kind to ourselves, like sometimes we don't know what we want and what we need. So the people that have the capacity that are like viewing inside from outside in, um, and if they have the capacity to break these cycles, is to to ask um, the basics like, what do we need? And um, I kind of wrote like things from the questions that we had. So just listening to understand, you know, a lot of us um, are quick to like listen to react, um, affirming that we got your back within that capacity, and then um, like, you know, again, we sometimes we don't have the ability to say like what we need, but um, I think part of it is like always centering the folks that have been harmed. Everyone's been harmed, but there's like, do we continue perpetuating the harm by ignoring 
these stories like that's that's kind of far worse you know and sometimes that's why people don't continue with transformative justice because everyone wants restoring restoring the same thing that there was before and we know for a fact that that's not sustainable but um i wanted to thank y'all for um doing this you know it's hard in, in orange county um because it's orange county um uh, a lot of poor working class folks here are struggling and sometimes we don't have that support here so um i i admire what y'all are do doing and the collectiveness and this is what makes a difference right because we would have never thought that this would have been happening when this violence was occurring so um thank you for the medicine and the space and and you know y'all give everyone hope with this i appreciate y'all and i know y'all appreciate each other too Thank you so much, Sin. I have a feeling a lot of people um, probably want to respond to what you what you said, and I, I just wanted to pick a couple of the really amazing things that you said, which is, you know, um, that sometimes we don't know what to do. Um, and the thing is, is I, I think most of the time we're asking people who are closest to us. When we survive violence, we usually reach out to our family, our friends, or like people that are close to us. And what happens when the people close to us don't know what to do, you know? So I think um, you offered a really great, you know, thing, which is at the very least we can listen while we build up the skills to be able to respond. Um, and at the same time, a lot of us are socialized to not have needs or to believe we don't have needs, you know? So it's also, that's a big thing that, um, that we're all learning or a lot of us are learning. So I wanna give everyone else a, a chance to, re to reflect on what you said. I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I was, uh, you know, listening to you and very, very much practicing my active listening because I think that what you said was very important. And a lot of times I was actually going to say that, that basically as survivors, sometimes that's really all we need is a, a listening ear, you know. And I guess one of the things that I could add to that was uh, identifying certain triggers and letting people uh, know about those triggers and not in a way of like oh everyone should be in my business but more so of like you know diminishing any possible anxiety that those triggers can bring about or you know continuing to socialize wanting to be back into the circle you know like Olga said that, that things haven't been the same you know since that event happened and it's true you don't you you're not the same you have to acknowledge that first of all for yourself and for your community, because when you enter this again, you're going to be different and you have to identify that. And as a community, in order to support that, we should know and we should find out what those are, you know, keep those triggers, you know, uh, on the forefront and know what they are so we can have better practices around the people that need more support. So yeah, that was my take on it. Thank you. So how do we hold people accountable when they're not willing to engage in transformative justice and the process? And of course we heard, thank you James for speaking about the tribunal and what happened with General Taco. He didn't actually show up um, to you know, this particular situation. But um, for me, I think it's important to understand that even if the person is not there, we still have to address the issues with the community as a whole because the transgression happened to the community and the members of the community. 
So um, one of the things that I wanted to discuss and just throw out there for everyone was, is anyone familiar with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that happened in South Africa after apartheid was abolished? Um, no. So in South Africa, um, apartheid was like a huge, you know, system of oppression that divided and was colorism and basically is still kind of lingering around. But once it was abolished, um, they developed this commission called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where everyone was kind of brought to the table, the transgressors and the oppressors and the people who were victimized. And at that moment, everyone was given an opportunity and a platform to, you know, find justice, whether it be through, it, no one got official sentencing like in jail time, but everyone got some kind of punishment, not, not in that sense, but everyone had to pay dues, you know, um, some way community service or some were different, um, you know, different things that had come up, like torture, violence. Uh, one of the people that was brought to the Truth and Conciliation Commission was Winnie Mandela, who was Nelson Mandela's wife at that time. While, you know, the ANC was liberating, there was a lot of thick violence that happened that was blamed on her. And therefore, she's brought to this Truth and Reconciliation Committee. And a lot of people still see her as like, the negative aspect of the liberation simply because she was in charge of the army at the time that her husband was jailed and some of the, some of the things that were done were you know torture uh, of police officers or different things that were done to support the movement so to speak and in a sense to me i'm not saying hey we have to go towards all oh, the violence or towards judging people what i'm saying is we need to come up with our own protocols that are just and that are equal and that are um, very clear and transparent and are addressed on a platform that can go from Nella to South LA to Boyle Heights because we are all connected to Santana. You know, we need to be able to address these transgressors that come into our communities and let the next community know, hey, such and such person has this type of behavior, such and such situation is causing harm to our community or bringing an unsafe environment. You know, those are the things that we should be talking about as far as what, what it looks like for, you know, I don't want to call it truth and reconciliation because I'll just be biting off their idea, but it definitely has a lot to do with those two words. How do we reconcile the community and the transgressions and how do we speak on the truth? So I just want to throw it out there about how that looks, what that looks like for y'all, you know? What do you see as a possible solution, you know, when a person is not physically present, but we want to make it known, hey, your transgression is not going to go overlooked. So I'm just going to open it up for everyone. I had um, just put it really quick, like, um, how do, like so how do we hold people accountable when they aren't willing to engage honestly um, it, it's always the hardest but I think that finding mutual acquaintances sometimes helps and sometimes it's also not the best but finding who is invested in in actually doing transformative justice um, and also what their role will be and their capacity and commitment to it because it is long you know what I mean but um, there's a reason why we have connections with people in the communities because we kind of feel like we have mutual um, 
ideas of what community can be like, aside from the struggles that we have. And then, um, but always also like centering survival, the survivor's needs. Like uh, once transformative justice happens sometimes, I think we always focus on the ones that have harmed when, yeah, you know, the calling should happen with people that care about their transformation too. But it's not always about them and like trying to fix a pretty picture. It's about like, how were we all affected and how did we all like contribute to this to like blow up and how are we going to contribute for it not to happen again? And then, um, so declare like, you know, what our role is in the transformative justice and it might change too. Um, but yeah, be there for survivors too. When people don't want to do something, we can't force other people to, to face their truth, you know, and sometimes it just happens over time and it's frustrating. So I, I've chosen to, 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 um, be very aware of the people that are willing to hear me out and support me in transformative justice because other people are going to back them up when they're being harmful and they're not trying to do the process yet. But eventually, you know, um, it, it's like an equal thing. Y'all are doing a con like your own accountability. This is yes. it. Yes. Is it? Yeah. yeah. And that was the next word I was going to actually talk about is accountability. And that's basically what I'm going to exit with. For me, that is a very big uh, part of my lifestyle. And um, I don't live in social media, so I don't really give a fuck, excuse my language, about what social media says about me. I actually live accountability and I live my life the way that I feel is righteous and correct with my creator. So I feel like a lot of people don't and maybe they need to see that. Maybe one of the main reasons why we're having this conversation now is there needs to be more examples of what what good community looks like and we need to start circling and centering around those survivors that have built community around themselves even after transgressions especially coming from like the type of history that we have with the ovas you know i don't know how many of y'all know but ovas is like was like the first female bike brigade to really take on an all-female bike ride to put push forward this agenda that we can take back our streets even on bikes so i think that's a very important message to come across like you know even you know femme identified especially now when there's so much transphobia and so many of our sisters are being killed you know without any type of justice or support i've seen videos of some very serious transgressions happening with men just just watching literally just watching around and I, I to me it's like hold them all accountable all of them all the people that are having to face their own truths and their own racism and their own sexism and their own misogyny I need to, you know, be very clear about that. That is the same for all fronts. Pedophiles, throw them in there too. All of the people that cause transgressions in our communities need to be brought to the same table and have the same, same bars, you know, laid out for them as far as what they need to be held accountable for. And if they don't want to show up, fine, don't come back to the community. Don't show your face again to the community. And if you do, you should feel some type of pressure from the community. You know, for me, as far as like support of the OVAs, I'm very open about who I am and what I am. So I have no problem showing my face in a community, even when transgressors have been there, when we've had to actually, you know, perform in front of, you know, COINTELPRO probably, who knows? At this point, there's all kind. we should, you, sh you should just come to an event with the idea that there's always frenemies there and there's always someone who's antagonist, who's anti something and they possibly can be bringing information to another type of uh, group or organization that will want to do harm. So how do we support ourselves? How do we protect ourselves? I suggest taking self-defense classes. I suggest 
getting to a place where you know how to, you know, control uh, any type of arm, whether it's a machete or something that you know how to control in your home. In my own home, I don't hold any firearms. I have three machetes and a knife and I can support and defend myself if anyone pulls in a gun. I know how to take, you know, certain things are in your own hands. So we cannot just wait for the moment and then decide, oh, then now I need to learn these things. No, don't wait for the violence to happen in order to learn how to defend yourself. As a woman, as a woman of color, as a mother of a, of a black man, I learned how to defend myself and my family. As a single mother, as a single sister walking the streets, we need to learn how to defend ourselves. And I know that the OVAs have you know, classes and there's been connections and we have plenty of support in that way. So maybe the next step would be, how do we censor around the survivors and how do we give them tools to continue, you know, to support that healing? Because in that, in that learning to defend ourselves comes major healing. Major healing happens when you take autonomy over your own body. Thank you. That's what come up. Hi, uh, so the question um, was, what does um, a TJ process uh, seek to do? And um, I just wanna name that I'm also a, uh, a student of transformative justice in similar ways uh, that Shabina is. And um, a lot of my perspective comes from um, Adrian Mary Brown, um, uh, Mia Mingus. I actually spoke with Mia Mingus on the phone um, because, uh, yeah, I just wanted her guidance on the possibility of transformative justice around this situation. And when I told her the entirety of the story, she, um, she really, uh, it was, it was really. Um, just affirming to hear that it's not, in this situation, it's not possible. Um, and uh, the reason why it's not possible is because, uh, like the sister was saying earlier, that uh, tra for transformative justice, what is central to it is accountability. And um, we can often uh, wish to hold uh, people accountable ourselves but that's not possible. Um, accountability comes from the person who actually has done the, the harm. They have to themselves uh, acknowledge the harm and seek out uh, transformation uh, so that their abusive or harmful behavior doesn't continue. Um, but not to denounce like, and, and to do it in a way like uh, how uh, James was talking about earlier with the tribunal process in a way that isn't uh, reactionary violence. Um, there is a time and a place for counter violence or self-defense, but um, in these uh, instances, when we have interpersonal harms, uh, just acknowledging that like we are trying to do it in a, coming from a caring place and acknowledging um, that all of us have the capacity to do harm in that, uh, we can kind of erase and abolish these kinds of uh, survivor and abuser um, like binaries. Um, 
a part, a part, another thing that um, transformative justice seeks to do is separate justice from uh, punishment and or uh, carceral, carcerality. Um, so much, so many of us have been uh, socialized by uh, these kinds of white supremacist colonial systems. And so we replicate that. Um, and I, I do believe that <clears throat> when we seek to uh, resolve um, issues, there does need to be a kind of perpetual reconciliation to acknowledge um, where people are coming from. Um, and also that, yeah, I just, uh, I think that, yeah, I think that um, it's mostly, TJ is mostly done without um, the use of uh, force and violence, but uh, I think the hard part, the harder part is what do we do when people aren't willing to hold themselves accountable? Um, and that's where I think that, you know, uh, with the Black Writers Liberation Party, for example, and when they didn't come uh, to hold themselves accountable, uh, when people decided to do sanctions against them, they did take to online and they did use online as a way to uh, kind of use as a platform to get everyone um, throughout Turtle Island to know that they were, they were then, um, you know, could be expelled from different cities when they're trying to recruit in other cities, trying to, you know, remove themselves from the area so that people don't know. I also want to push back against the idea for the people with disabilities, uh, people with disabilities, our comrades with disabilities, uh, whether they be mental or uh, emotional um, or physical, just that like, you know, there are people that live online um, because they have these mental health and or physical disabilities. Like right now we're looking at a pandemic. So I don't want to like completely dismiss the activity that happens online, especially when it comes to um, navigating around uh, social, social movements that often will bring uh, information and tactics and strategy to other organizations or, or people who are on the ground and on the streets. Um, <clears throat> because I, it's not, not a, it's a response to often hearing that and often being like, like I'm a person who is often on the streets, but at some point I, I might lose that capacity or that ability or it waxes and wanes. And um, I think um, I just don't want to uh, ignore or disregard the kind of contributions that our disabled comrades like uh, Mia Mingus and like other comrades who have come up with these kinds of transformative justice models. I think it's really important work. And I think a lot of uh, men and masculine of center people need to step up to it to do this kind of care labor as well. So I guess we can go to survival arts or the next question. <clears throat> Yeah, I can uh, I can go ahead and, and jump in. Uh, my name's uh, Nina. I use uh, she, her, a uh, pronouns. Um, so yeah, the question, are the immediate needs including their safety being addressed? If not, how do we do that? Um, and so I kind of had a little things um, in mind when we really talked about this and um, how we do center survivors. 
Um, and I think that like that's that's one of the the first asks. I think the most basic thing would be um, how um, like how to honor um, the survivor's autonomy and the demands. And so making sure that uh, first and foremost that's something that um, is as a community we take as a responsibility. Um, not only safety, um, depending on what type of harm is being inflicted, but making sure that we do provide a follow up and also address the, the emotional, um, the like all different types of, of, of harm that is created. And it's not just um, at some times or in some cases just physical, um, but the emotional toll and, and um, how that plays a role. And then how our organizational spaces are complicit um, in either siding with abusers or sometime, sometimes uh, harboring um, or knowing about this information and sitting with this information without disclosing um, the fact that there are known abusers. And we've seen this time and time again in different communities. Um, and I don't think that, like, I think that our, our elders have fucked up um, a lot of the times when um, trying to say that this is like the personal because um, like you can't, if you can't solve this harm within your communities, then how can I trust you to solve um, community problems or, or things a little bit more intricate when, when it all ties um, and you can't really pick and choose what you're gonna be held accountable to. And so um, I think different folks play different roles and that's also something that should be addressed, like how um, there's the folks that commit the harm, right? So in this case, it's the um, folks that continue to reinvent themselves through different aliases. Um, but that's something that like, they, it's something that should be continued to, a conversation that can, that should be continued to, to be had uh, regardless of, of those tactics of how do we hold folks accountable, uh, regardless of whether or not they are willing to hold themselves accountable. Um, and then how do we as community take on that responsibility? Um, and then uh, what's our collective responsibility to organize against, um, against that specific violence? And then I think personally, like as a younger organizer and as a survivor, I think that like my specific ask, and I don't think it's a specific ask, I think that that's a boundary um, that I ask and I expect the, the organizations that I, I continue to work with and build relationships with will be, uh, will disclose of that information if they choose or if they do have abusers within their organizing spaces because um, I think that that's something um, that should be addressed and something that should be like it's it's community informed um, like organizing and I think that that's um, in the the spirit of autonomy that's something that folks have to have the choice whether or not to choose that and whether or not organizations want to continue holding and and working with abusers and that's their their shit but I would respect them to be upfront about that um so that way I know to fucking keep my um to keep my like I don't know to to keep through chas um and then uh, I would also want to like open it up to see um how folks also would uh want to see their immediate needs um and safety being addressed I know that uh in certain cases it's it's really important that um, especially in cases where folks have a history of, of attacks and history of um, like un that unchecked behavior, it is um, something that 
we do continuously check in with folks, um, but I also do want to open it to, to suggestions and, and things that other folks might um, have or suggest as well as practices, because this is something a lot of us, a lot of organizations don't have this, um, they don't have this policy, they don't have this like protocols in place about what to do with this. And I think that that's, uh, that's really fucked up because if you're waiting for the moment, if you're waiting for a situation to fucking put you to that, um, then you're not really thinking about the communities. You're not really thinking about the fact that this is the lived experience of so many fucking people. And you can't like, yeah, you can't really run away from that. Um, and if you really care about your communities, you're not really gonna run away from that because you're not loving them uh, holistically. You're not loving them where they're at. So uh, yeah, if anyone else wants to wants to chime in um, or say anything, any other practices that they would uh, wish to see, um, I think that it is important to, for us to have and establish these connections um, locally and um, throughout uh, different uh, states uh, as well um, because it's how folks tend to do this it's very isolating and, and they do this shit in purpose um but shit we're still here and we're still fucking like we're still taking up space and we're still like stating that like this is the fucking bare minimum that y'all can do fuck like y'all have had so many opportunities to to step up and like y'all have a responsibility so what are y'all gonna fucking what are y'all gonna do Peace and kind blessings to everyone. Thank you all so much for sharing your knowledge and um, love for the community. My name is Jamie. My pronouns are she, they, and sha. Um, I'm coming to you live from the Philippines. So it's really wonderful to be here with you all. Um, I apologize in advance if you hear dogs barking or just background noise, there's a lot going on here. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many amazing, important points that folks brought up, uh, brought up that I'm going to be echoing. And first and foremost, um, also a student of transformative justice, I would like to name that we are forging the path to transformative justice. So a lot of this is learning as we go and trusting ourselves and our intuition and each other and holding each other as we work through these difficult processes. And some of the places where I learned transformative justice in addition to the ones that Shabina and Etsy also named. Um, one that was really helpful for me was the Creative Interventions Toolkit available online. Um, it has been just a really great resource that I got from um, another warrior sister named Maya, um, also as, as well as Generation 5, um, Insight, Women of Color Against Violence, uh, Critical Resistance, and the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. And so um, I'm definitely drawing knowledge from these groups and the work that they've already put out um, in terms of this healing process. So, you know, just in a couple minutes, I'd like to share some of the 2020 lessons from survival arts organizing, um, 2020 being in hindsight. You know, a lot of times things are not clear until they're over with and we can look back on what happened and how we can change it. So number one, the lesson that we've really learned together is that healing happens in community. It's really not only important, but it's very powerful when we have our sacred circles. So shout out to, you know, the women of color circles and the collectives that you all are doing. Like that's very, very important work. Um, it's, it's necessary to have women centered 
um, two-spirit and trans and binary, non-binary folk-centered circles that are actual safe spaces, right? Not just in speech, but in actuality. Um, and the reason that survival arts was even created was because we needed our own safe space to train. Um, martial arts in general is, and self-defense, self-defense, right? Uh, trainings in general are very, very violent against um, folks of color, against women, against children, um, especially trans and queer folks. You know, there is no safe space where we feel like we can just come in and learn some skills to defend our bodies and, and, and feel good about it, right? We are constantly being sexually objectified um, feeling uncomfortable in the space. Um, you know, most instructors are men, very patriarchal men. Martial arts is dominated by white men, even though they all draw from East Asian and Southeast Asian cultures. So we're talking levels of colonization and violence, even within trying to learn skills to protect your body. So as a response, self survival arts was created here in the Philippines. And like, let's, let's get women folks together. Let's get trans folks together. Let's make it a, a folks of color space only. Um, and even that alone, you know, triggered violence, right? Because then white folks were like, well, why can't we join? And white men were like, well, we want to be in this space too. Of course, right? So, you know, the, this, is, this is the climate we're in. And we are constantly attacked for our work. Like, just us gathering. And, and I just want to mention that here in the Philippines, you know, we have a strong culture of matriarchy and matrilineal, um, meaning passing the line through the mother. Our culture has always respected um, women and mothers and, and two-spirit folks as divine. And so when the Spanish came and colonized the Philippines for 333 years, they turned everything on its head and made this a very patriarchal, um, Catholic, violent kind of genocidal nature here. And one of the things that they did was they banned our women's circles. They banned the gathering of what we call mga babaylan, the babaylan, which are the shamans and the healers. And they played a very important role in our indigenous societies. And coming together, the Spanish already realized they're too powerful, let's break them up. And so it was illegal for indigenous folks to gather, to circle, to have ceremony, to have ritual. Um, and so we have to reclaim those practices. It's, it's a necessity for our survival into the future that we draw back from the past, but also understanding what we're dealing with today, which are new, level, new levels of violence. So I think part of the work that we hope to do is to create that healing space to um, connect and bridge with other um, women's groups and, and sacred circles. Um, the second lesson I'd like to share is, you know, Folks have already said it, we need to support survivors. We need to believe survivors. Um, that's very difficult nowadays, but also folks are coming out and speaking their truth. And so as they come out and speak their truth, we have to stand by them. We have to show them that they're not alone, that this isn't the first time, um, and it won't be the last. And we need to just continue setting those examples for folks so that they know um, that it's okay to come forward, that, you know, even though you will face violence, you will be ostracized, you will be attacked for speaking your truth, there is community that will hold you in that truth and, and be with you during that time. And just to speak from personal experience, um, we recently called out an abuser on our platform 
um, on, in survival arts. And it blew up into a whole thing, right? All of a sudden, folks started attacking us, um, uh, people that were protecting abusers and on the side of the abuser, um, started personally attacking me, harassing me, my entire family, um, my mother, my partner, my grandmaster, um, and they were all coming from the Filipino martial arts community. And mostly men, but some women too. So again, the patriarchy runs very deep, the colonial mindset runs very deep, and they were literally attacking us saying, this can't be, it's not true, right? And so there's a victim blaming, there's the same cycles of violence that we've all experienced, that the Ovas have experienced that you know, now we're still trying to heal from. Um, so, so being attacked really, um, you know, I appreciate what Sister Irie was saying, like, you know, fuck what they say about me on the social media. That's for sure, you know, who cares what they say? They're people are literally making videos about me and survival arts and talking shit, saying that like our work isn't valuable, that um, it's a bunch of bullshit, it's false empowerment for women, um, don't listen to this cult leader, like, you know, whatever, whatever they can say to delegitimize um, who we are and what we're doing in this world. But the work speaks for itself, right? The community speaks for me. I don't need to respond to all these abusers. I can go to my community. I can hit y'all up and be like, yo, this shit is crazy. You know, let's, let's connect on this because I know y'all been through it too. So the support system is probably the most important thing that myself and other survivors have learned that you're not alone, that we got you that we got you on multiple levels, not only physical and emotional and mental, but also spiritual. We hold space, we hold ceremony, we speak to the ancestors, we set up all our, our altar space. Um, you know, we smudge, we do these practices to make sure that um, spiritually, we're also protecting each other. Um, that's very, very real and very important. And we can't lose that metaphysical connection just because we're so um, stuck in the capitalist, white supremacist, violent world. We have to be able to also remove ourselves from toxic social media, from um, the rest of the world so that we can actually do that inner work. We can go deep within, we can, we can address the harmful behaviors that we've um, subconsciously absorbed through the process of living in a colonized world. So yeah, these are all steps, you know, that we are all together in this and especially the spiritual aspect. Like, I just wanna thank y'all because spiritually right now, our energy is vibrating. You know, together we breathe. Um, when we like do our trainings virtually, it's so weird to like not have that physical energy exchange. But when we do a push up together, for example, you know, I tell folks we are all lowering our hearts to the earth at the same time. We are all connecting to our mother planet. We're all connecting to our bodies in a really powerful way, no matter where we, we come from and where we're calling in from. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, it also really reminds me of, um, you know, learning from black women's resistance. Audrey, La Audrey Lord taught us that caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Um, I really appreciate the, the words that, that Brother James shared about, you know, don't take it personally. I agree with that. And also the personal is political. A lot of this is personal. It, abuse becomes very, very personal. Violence is personal, no matter what level it's attacking on. So yes, don't take shit personally, but also take it personally, right? We have to also understand that our emotions are valuable in this fight, especially as women folks and trans folks. You know, we're constantly um, told that our, our feelings don't matter. That's not the case. 
You know, our feelings are what drives us. Our rage is a rage of love. You know, um, Audre Lorde also talks about the uses of anger. We can use our anger to, to move forward with our organizing, to teach other people from the anger we feel from within. And also recognizing that a lot of our anger and rage is not our own, it's ancestral, right? It's something we've inherited in, in intergenerational trauma. And so we also have a lot of trauma to address within our generations, within our bloodlines. And one thing I constantly remind our students is that every single one of us is here because someone in our lineage has survived. So we are the manifestations of our ancestors and we're here with, a, with work to do. We're here with a mission on this planet. And the more that we recognize our own missions and connect them to the other folks that are also on their mission, the more powerful we can actually be. Um, the, the third lesson is, you know, it's, this is really important in physical training is not to be reactionary. Um, we want to be relational. And so this, is, this also comes from the Kali mindset. Kali being the Filipino fighting arts system that we teach. It's all about responding to violence. We actually wait for the attacker to attack and then we counter that attack. So there's no reason to attack first. Analyze the situation, you know? Take a look at what's happening first. Do not react because if you react, you are now putting yourself in a dangerous situation. You're now putting yourself at risk or maybe you make a wrong move and then you leave, you know, a part of your body completely vulnerable to being like stabbed or something like that, right? So, so thinking realistically about violence on every level, but especially physical altercation. And so, you know, we can learn a lot of these, um, in terms of our political organizing, we can learn a lot of these lessons from our political prisoners. Um, Safiya Bukhari, very important. Um, you know, we learn a lot from Mumia Abu-Jamal, Russell Maroon Schultz, Leonard Peltier, all the political prisoners and prisoners of war of the Black Liberation Movement, the Young Lords, the Environmental Protection Movements, Indigenous Movements, we have to learn these lessons from folks because there are lessons there for our movements moving forward. Um, how they were entrapped, um, how they're continuing to be treated until today. We're constantly doing that work and I appreciate the OVAs and, and the SHED slash La Concha for always putting political prisoners agenda on the forefront. We cannot forget our, our comrades that are still alive and still dealing with new levels of oppression like solitary confinement and extreme torture. So, you know, also learning from the ones who were able to escape. You know, Asada taught us. Asada taught us a lot of lessons and she is alive and well um, in Cuba. And so we respect and honor that we have to learn how to also be like that. Um, and yeah, just not being reactionary, you know? We need to really be, in order to be revolutionary, we have to move away from the reactionary mindset. And that brings me to my next point, which is countering the violence. So as violence is coming at us, there is no nonviolence in the face of violence. If someone is trying to kill you, you can't say, oh my gosh, please don't kill me, I'm not violent. First of all, you cannot be considered peaceful if you're not capable of real violence. Otherwise, you're just harmless. So you need to learn also what counter violences you need and what that means. And I, again, I appreciate Sister Ivy talking about the blades, talking about being weaponized. We need to weaponize ourselves, mind, body, and spirit. We need to remember that, especially when it comes from the fighting arts perspective, 
there are movements to respond to every movement of attack. And so the way that we teach Kali is we don't teach to step back because the normal human response to danger is to freeze. The normal animal response to danger is to freeze. And when you freeze, you actually freeze your functions of the brain. The pituitary gland, all the executive functions freeze as well. Your breath also freezes. And so you're, you, you automatically in that moment are putting yourself in danger. And so part of our training, and this is what the military does, we gotta learn from them too. Military combat teaches, step in, breathe, move. You know, when the danger comes, you run to the danger. You get closer to it because stepping into it actually puts you in a safer position. We learn that from a lot of combat arts, that when you're closer to the attacker, you're safer because you can actually protect your vital parts and find entries for the enemy as well. So the Kali philosophy is really, um, is really beautiful and important. And it's not a coincidence that it also has the same name of the Hindu goddess Kali, goddess of life and death and destruction. So, you know, all these things are connected. And one of the ways that we try to counter the violence, and I, I really appreciate um, whoever spoke about like teaching the youth and training the youth, we have to start young. We have to start with the babies. We have to teach consent as early as possible. And so, you know, we teach consent. I use this book. This is a children's book. It's called, Let's Talk About Body Boundaries, Consent and Respect. I use this to teach adults because adults don't understand body boundaries and consent and respect. And so we start young, but we're teaching everyone. We're teaching ourselves too, that you know, these are our boundaries and how do we enforce them? And learning how to fight is step one. It's just the beginning. So if you do have the ability, the time, the means, or if you don't make the time, make the means, you know, find a way to even connect with folks in the community who have a little bit of knowledge. Um, we've worked with the Warriors Self-Defense Community or Community Self-Defense um, in Tongva, LA um, with, with Sister Claudia. So, you know, there are folks out there that are also teaching this. Make sure that you're learning some form of combat. Um, you're getting into a physical shape. You're getting into physical training so that you can also protect yourself physically in a situation. And as we learn from Brother Malcolm X, Al-Hajj and Malika Shabazz, be peaceful, be courteous, respect everyone, but if someone puts his hand on you, send him to the cemetery. So my last point is we need to stay ready because the violence will continue. It'll only get worse. Now we're dealing with a global pandemic. We're dealing with unprecedented amounts of domestic violence, missing and murdered folks. This is, the times are already showing us what it is. And so are we ahead of the game or are we behind? And the answer is that we need to be ahead. So realizing that no one will protect us but ourselves, um, understanding the importance of autonomy and not letting anybody tell us what to do or dictate what we have to do or um, keep us tied to certain resources so that we have to be told what to do. And then also self-sustainability. You know, the more that we depend on ourselves, the less we have to worry about the oppressor taking something from us. And that includes everything from growing your own food to making your own clothes, to using your own creative expressions for political action, whatever it is that you can do on your own autonomously with the, the help of mutual aid and community folks, 
that's how we're going to be able to move forward in the future and even survive in the future um, because things are going to be taken more and more away from us. So we want to be vigilant, you know, but also create space for healing, for love, for compassion, for nurturing, um, for addressing the needs of the women, the children, the trans folks, the community. We need to make sure that we are, we're having that balance. And the balance that we strive for, especially in survival arts, is the balance between warrior and healer, you know, and, and being for ourselves. And again, drawing back to indigenous times in the Philippines, in order to be a healer, you have to be a warrior first. You have to be able to defend your people, to protect yourself, to fight, to put the cause in the front, in the forefront of the battlefield. And then after experience, after proving yourself, after fighting for the community, then you can start to, you know, study and learn what it means to be in a healing perspective and how to heal folks from the battles and coming back with their wounds. Um, so, you know, responding means, means staying ready. You know, it means really developing the blade mindset. We need to be sharp like the blade, mind, body, and spirit. But then also, we need to have one. Make sure you have one. This, for me, provides security. This provides confidence. This is an equalizer to a 200, 300 pound attacker or someone bigger and stronger than me. This is what makes me equal to them. And so this becomes a weapon of, you know, self-determination, self-protection, self-preservation. We need to be able that we have this and we know how to use this. So make sure you get one. And then, <laughs> against this, are you talking about machetes? This is what we need. This is called the ginonteng. It's a double-edged blade. It's a long blade. And the reason we train with this is because we want to keep our oppressor at a distance. We want to keep them over there and even intimidate them from over here. So understanding the power of this, this is here. It is already within our hands. It is already within our bodies. It's already here in our minds and our hearts. So having this blade is really having the mindset. And when you train with the blade and when you train how to fight and you learn these, just a little bit of knowledge goes a long way. You learn a little bit about these tools. First of all, it takes away the fear from them. We are no longer afraid. We actually invite the knowledge. And second of all, this allows us to really think about, um, about life and how precious life is and how easily it can be snatched. And so the more that we train and understand this knowledge, the more that we'll be able to protect ourselves into the future. So um, that's all I had to really share, but I just wanna thank y'all for, for doing this, for responding to community, for being there for folks. You know, times are really tough right now all over the world and we're dealing with major political repression here in this country and also in Turtle Island and all over the world. So, you know, we have to realize that the power is within us. It is in the masses. We outnumber them, but our knowledge has to be on point. Our discipline has to be on point. We have to be physically fit and healthy just as much as we have to be emotionally safe and secure. So finding the balance between all these things, mind, body, spirit, is very important for, for creating a holistic understanding of survival and making sure that we're thinking seven generations ahead always. So thank you all for having me. Appreciate you.
let's stand by each other and with each other, no matter what violences we're facing and just keep the work going. Yo, they can't, they can't stop us. They really can't stop us. They can try, but they can't. Um, and even if we, for some reason, fall, guess what? The movement moves on. The lessons move on. The ideas, they still live. You cannot kill a revolutionary idea. You just take the body away. So remembering our comrades, our lost and fallen comrades, and remembering that, you know, it's here. It's already within. We just have to activate that knowledge. So thank you all.
Wika wiola me teo tatsin il wika mina. Te wika wiola me teo tatsin il wika mina. Tlaso kamati teo tiawi, tlaso kamati wemia, tlaso kamati teo tiawi, tlaso kamati wemia, tlaso kamati wemia. Oh, Mateo. Oh, Mateo, tlaso kamati. Thank you, Creator and Ancestors, for being here and holding space. Thank you for allowing us to speak truth to power. I ask for you to continue to guide us with all your strength and courage to continue walking forward with strength and grace and courage that we continue expanding that love into our communities, all our communities, that we continue making this web of medicine and healing, that we continue to heal ourselves and all those around us, Creator, that we continue to speak truth to power, not only today, but tomorrow, the weeks to come, the months to come, the years. Remind us when we lose our path to come back here and remind us that we're not alone and that we have a community behind us, a community next to us. And as we continue healing, not only do we heal ourselves, but we heal the next seven generations. I elevate all the prayers that our relatives have here today. May we continue making all that beautiful magic together. We continue making our prayers elevate up to the moon and to the sky. Thank you, relatives. Aho, aho. <clears throat> and with that, we conclude, we close space. We hope that you all get some rest and stretch and, you know, really let all the words sink in. And just thank you so much to all those who are watching, to everyone who participated, to all those who put this time and effort and making this happen and that we continue just, you know, making more space. <laughs> conversations. Thank you, everyone. Peace. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Peace, everybody. Peace. Thanks.
Thank you, Creator and ancestors, for being here and holding space. Thank you for allowing us to speak truth to power. I ask for you to continue to guide us with all your strength and courage to continue walking forward with strength and grace and courage that we continue expanding that love into our communities, all our communities, that we continue making this web of medicine and healing, that we continue to heal ourselves and all those around us, Creator, that we continue to speak truth to power, not only today, but tomorrow, the weeks to come, the months to come, the years. Remind us when we lose our path to come back here and remind us that we're not alone and that we have a community behind us, a community next to us. And as we continue healing, not only do we heal ourselves, but we heal the next seven generations. I elevate all the prayers that our relatives have here today. May we continue making all that beautiful magic together. We continue making our prayers elevate up to the moon and to the sky. Thank you, relatives. And with that, we conclude. We close space. We hope that you all get some rest and stretch and, you know, really let all the words sink in. And just thank you so much to all those who are watching, to everyone who participated to all those who put this time and effort and making this happen and that we continue just, you know, making more space <laughs> conversations. Thank you, everyone. Peace. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Peace, everybody. Peace. Love y'all. Bye. Yeah, we. I'm gonna sleep. <laughs>